my big coming out decision was really just the decision that if somebody asks about my cleats, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to tell a half truth. I'm not going to say I'm an ally. I'm just going to say, yep, I'm gay. And, you know, I'm proud of who I am. And welcome to episode 26 of the Outfield Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Listenstadter. A very special day. We are talking to somebody who is making waves and making news. It has been one of the great stories to see in the last few weeks or so. It is almost time for the World Series, so why not we continue the baseball theme? Talk with somebody who became one of the few active baseball players, one of the few current or former professional baseball players to come out also activist, country musician, Brian Ruby. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? What's going on? Thanks for having me. I have to ask this question first and foremost. Have you had a chance to uh, breathe the last few weeks? Uh, it's just starting to die down, honestly. Um, it, it was pretty crazy for a little bit, but um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to like, you know, as, as we get into the fall here, like getting back to my life. <laughs> See, that's the one thing they, they don't tell you when you come out publicly is that your life kind of becomes secondary for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not important, and my life became not very secondary for, you know, about a, about a day. See, when you're important, it happens in a, in a bit bigger fashion. Well, I don't consider myself to be very important, to be honest. Well, not... I mean, I've seen the stories written about you. You were in the, you know, on the cover of the sports section of USA Today, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that was that was wild when that, you know, I was aware that um, obviously aware that it was going to do the coming out story. But and I'd done the interview a couple weeks earlier, but wasn't wasn't quite um, aware of like the, the, the gravity of, you know, I'm I'm not the best baseball player in the world by any means. I'm a journeyman guy I play overseas and on the indie ball circuit, you know, in the U.S. and. And it, it was it was a pleasant surprise and and, you know, like uh, shocking, but also like one of the most amazing things that has happened in my life and, and such a positive moment. It's the first time in a while I've heard anybody from the generation that we're in get very excited to be on the front page of a newspaper. <laughs> now, I'm a journalist by trade, so this makes me happy because we need to see the newspaper industry thrive and not be taken over by evil hedge funds, but that's another story. Uh, I ask this question on, have you been able to breathe, because you say you're not important, but I think the evidence suggests that your, your story has resonated with a good amount of people, and particularly in a sport where there has just not been any movement in the positive direction until basically the last six weeks. So... For you, just just a quick moment to reflect on everything that's happened for you in the last six weeks before we start to really go into all of this. Yeah, I mean it's been amazing. Um, you know, I, I honestly I have I have been out for for about five years, so it wasn't that much of a of of a change on in my day-to-day -day life, like I came out to my, I mean, I can get into this. I came out to my friends and family at the age of 21 and, um, you know, I've been out and was out to some of my teammates in college and, and have been out, um, to teammates, but, but it was, it's one thing to, to do that and another to like <laughs> tell your story publicly. So that's, that's kind of been the crazy part. 
that um, I've, it's taken some getting used to, but you know, as long as, as long as it can like help other people, I'm all for it. And um, you know, I've tried to, as, as I've been doing these different interviews and, and you know, I've, I've tried to like carry myself with like class and professionalism. And, and I, I understand that there are, there are players, um, you know, I'm hearing from them on a day to day basis, you know, people are looking at me right now and, and it's, it's an both, it's an honor, but, and a privilege, but also a little scary because I feel like, you know, based on some of the things that happened to, to, to me and Kieran, um, you know, over the course of the next few months that, that may dictate how this plays out for other people in baseball. So I, it's, it's an, it's an honor, but I, I feel a little bit of weight on my shoulders as well. We'll get into all of that because all of these are very good points, but I do want to mention just to peel back behind the curtain. It's the first time I've ever gone to someone's manager slash agent to set up an interview for the show. So that means you are important because usually I just DM people on Twitter, Instagram. They're like, sure, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Tara has been helping me. Um, she is, I'll, I'll give her a little shout out here. Tara Gore is like my manager and she was, she worked for major league baseball for like 13 years and also in the music industry. So she's a perfect person. Um, I get to just be an athlete and, and be a musician and she helps me with all the administrative stuff and, and, um, you know, she's, she's great. <laughs> Shout out to her. <laughs> very, very friendly, very easy to work with. Shout out to her for helping uh, set this up. So let's start at the beginning because there's been a lot of talk with you about where you are now, but I don't think a lot of people knew about uh, your growing up, where you were raised, how you got into baseball. So talk a little about that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was born and raised in Montgomery, uh, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Okay. So uh, you're, again, another Delaware Valley person. It's wonderful to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, lived in, lived in Philly. Um, I, my, both of my parents, all my family raised in a family of athletes. Um, my dad was a, was a pitcher. Um, my mom was, um, a cut away from making the Olympic team. She was a, um, an NCAA record holding. My mom's the best athlete in the family by, by far. Um, still to this day in, in lacrosse and field hockey. Um, and my sister won a national championship in college and soccer. And, and my brother's a, a big D one, uh, baseball player. So, um, raised in a family of athletes and, um, kind of just grew up around sports. Um, and, uh, I also, you know, love, love country music. Um, I'm from Pennsylvania, but, but, was very fortunate to like play on the tournament circuit in high school. So playing down in Virginia, uh, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Texas. Um, and that kind of exposed me to country music. And, and I got a job working for our local country music station, uh, 92.5 XTU. In... You are saying things, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're saying things that resonate very strongly to me because I, people know I grew up in South Jersey, born and raised in South Jersey, so on the other side of the river, and yeah. the country fest that happened in Camden, just a bunch of high schoolers went there and got absolutely plastered on terrible beer. <laughs> and I spent most of the week laughing at them. Yeah. Well, I've been there. <laughs> I bet you have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I apologize for the digression that happens on this podcast from time to time, but I had to bring it up because the, the too many memories tied into hearing about those things. That's funny. This and is going to be fun for you. <laughs> it's a small world, but it's also like the number of people who are, you know, very into country music, and we're going to get into this much more later, that live in the Delaware Valley is not a very big number. And you know this for a fact, so. I don't know. I think you'd be surprised. I, I think XTU is is one of, there's actually, and we saw it, there's, there's country fans everywhere. I went to college down in Georgia for um, two years at Emory, and then I transferred up to Vassar College, got a vocal scholarship there. So um, I, uh, and continued making trips um, down to Nashville to, to kind of meet people in the country music industry. Um, because ultimately that's, that's what I, that's what I do in the off season. That's what I want to do. Um, after baseball, whenever I'm done with baseball, hopefully not too soon, but, um, you know, baseball and country music. Um, I dated girls in high school and up until uh, sophomore year of college. And then my red shirt sophomore year at 21 um, started the, the slow, slowly, but surely the coming out process. And um, you know, that, that just meant beginning to, to come out to my family and, and close friends. Um, and then um, junior year of college, I was about to be named team captain and I had a lot of guilt about about them naming. I thought they would not name me captain if they knew I was gay. And um, so that's kind of when I told told them. I, it was never the type of thing that I thought I was going to have a sit-down conversation with my college baseball coach about. But um, I, I had a lot of guilt. And I thought, you know, if they know this, they're not going to want me to represent them. And... I told them and they named me captain anyway. And I got to do all this leadership stuff with the NCAA and, and our school and our student government. And it ended up once again, just being like such a positive experience. So I want to start with you beginning to understand your own journey and your own sexuality. Cause these are interesting discussions, particularly for somebody who has a similar experience Growing up in the same area, the Delaware Valley is pretty much the same whether you grew up in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Uh, yeah. And you say in some of the stuff you have written in some of the interviews that you started to understand your sexuality around 14. And yeah. I always wonder when it comes to this is the thought that people had and I had certainly when I was understanding my sexuality being involved in sports my entire life is that these things were separate. You could not be – you couldn't be involved in sports and you couldn't be – in this community because the only people I know I've said this story before that I knew that were openly out at the time that I was in high school were people in theater because yeah. <laughs> that's just what the stereotype was and obviously that's changed a lot in the last decade or so but did you have those thoughts when you were you know in a sports family and you're playing baseball at a high level in high school and as you start to understand your own sexuality did you think that the two things could mix no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, you know, it's it's a really scary experience. I, I'm secure in who I am right now. I just turned 26. You know, I've, I've, I've been through the ringer, but it, it takes time. And it, it really took like 10 years. And like I said, in, I mean, 
some of those articles, like I realized I was different maybe about 14 or 15. And when you're a guy who, who has aspirations of playing baseball at a high level, getting recruited to college, playing professionally, um, and, you know, you happen to also love country music, it's really scary to, to look around and not really be able to see people like you. Um, and especially, you know, in that high school locker room, I think that's definitely, definitely the most vulnerable age. Like I, I'm secure in who I am now. So if somebody says something stupid in the locker room, I, I can brush it off. But when you hear that as a, as that kid who realizes that he's different, you think, oh my gosh, these are my friends, these are my teammates, we spend all day together, we ride the bus together, you know, if they ever find out about me, they're gonna hate me. You know, I'm never gonna be able, that closeted mindset, I'm never gonna be able to play baseball. You know, I'm I'm through and through, I'm a baseball player. You know, I've, I've played from the moment, my dad put a, a foam bat in my, in my hand, with a wiffle ball in the driveway as a, as a toddler, like, you know, that's who I am. And, and it's just, it's a really, it's a really lonely existence. You know, when you're, when you're growing up like that and you can't see people like yourself and honestly, you know, that that's kind of what motivated me to, to tell the story publicly. Um, I'm skipping ahead here, but, but, you know, once I was at a place where I was comfortable in my life, you know, with my family and friends and I'm in a, I got a great boyfriend. We're, we're in a going on almost two years now. Um, great relationship. I finally felt like it's 2020. It's the 2020s. Like there's a gay NFL player. Like there are queer people in all aspects of life and, and, and 16 million people play baseball in the U S and the fact that if little 14-year-old me can't Google gay baseball player and find a single active player at any level is like really a problem. And I'm not the best guy by any means. You know, I can't wait for a day. I was pumped when Kieran came out. I was, I'm going to be pumped when eventually when a major leaguer comes out. Hopefully that's not too far into the future. But but you know, in the meantime, like I'm out here, I'm working hard every day, playing baseball, played in like six different countries and indie ball in the U S and, and, you know, I got country songs I've written and, you know, that have charted and everything and, and for different artists and like it, why not? You know, that's kind of, that's, that's why I did it. Well, I think if anybody wants an idea, if you have not been in the closet before and you want an idea of what the closet experiences is like, just listen to what the last five minutes of this show was like. Because that's what the closet experience is. That's why it takes people so long to come out publicly. Yeah. You just explain it better than I could. Yeah. And, and, you know, if I could say one more thing about that. It was really... It was last Christmas. I was at my boyfriend's mom's house and we took this great picture under the christmas tree and the fact that i couldn't even post it i i felt i was nervous about posting it i didn't post it 
I felt like, you know, if I posted that and obviously I was going to tag him and somebody clicked on it and realized we were together, you know, I would have to worry. I might never get a job in baseball again. That's what went through my mind. And the fact that we're in the 2020s and somebody has to has to worry about something like that, um, it really is is a shitty like, you know, existence and um finally i just decided you know what i am who i am i'm gonna do this you know it's i've i've been a good teammate i really hope my teammates have my back and they totally did and you know i got support from our our organization our coaching staff and i did it and it's been it's just been awesome and again that's what the culture of sports for ever basically has been we know that there are queer people out there in sports all over either they're very deeply in the closet or they left sports because the environment was oppressive and that's been what happens and now we're just starting to break those barriers down and it sucks that it took until the worst year in human history okay the worst year in modern human history to get us to this point to start to push people but you know, it, it really does feel that this year, and I, I came out three years ago, and I started really following this issue a little bit before that when I wasn't out to many people, but it became something I became more interested in. This year's been a big year for this, much bigger than I ever thought, and I talk with people about this publicly and privately, and I wasn't as skeptical as some people I knew that we would see the moments we've seen this year, but, you know... And it's not just in baseball, but to see it in the NFL and to see it in hockey, which was a much bigger shock to me than the NFL. Yeah. Just all <laughs> in one year, all in a span of months, has been has been kind of crazy. And even I've had to kind of sit down and at points go, wow, man, this has really happened. And it's yeah. happened quickly so much to the point where you can't really sit down and, I don't want to say embrace the moment, but to sit down and take stock of the moment or yeah. take stock of the moments. And... I think for you personally, you know, you're coming out on the back of a bunch of other big stories that have happened already this year, and then a bunch of others happened after yours too, which yeah. is kind of amazing. We always say, and this is another phrase that means a lot if you're like us, but it might not mean much if you haven't been there before, but when you come out, you just make it a little bit easier for the next person after you, and this year's a great example of that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally feel that. I mean, it's been it's been so cool to like be a part of. Um, and then like, you know, when Kieran came out, like I got a message from him on Instagram saying that he'd seen my story. And I, I'm and I mean, hopefully there's going to be more. I mean, I can't really talk about it right now, but but I think there's going to be more, you know, fingers crossed coming up like relatively soon. Um, honestly, I think the off season is the best time to do it for baseball players, not in season. I did it in season. It just kind of happened, but the off season, kind of like how Carl did it, it's kind of like a quieter time. And that's, I mean, if like, I don't know, it's just been, it's been a really cool experience to like be a part of. And I feel like we have momentum now and I feel like we're doing things that are going to like continue to build that momentum i hope you're right i mean i am a cynical person by nature so i there is always a part of me that goes eh, it's sports these people aren't particularly interested in it unless it makes them money uh but i want to go back on a point that you made earlier about being in those high school locker rooms and going through the experience what was it that 
kept you so fearful? Was it the language? Was it just the culture of sports overall, the people you knew, the way they carried themselves? What was it that was the biggest fear for you that, that made you for 10 years basically stay closeted and in fear that you didn't have a future in baseball if you came out? Wow. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, I guess, you know, it, it was more myself, honestly. It was, it, it was hearing those comments um, and in the locker room and, and thinking, I can't be like that. You know what I mean? If, if I want a future in sports, I, I totally can't be like that. I wouldn't let myself, I wouldn't even let myself have my first gay relationship until until my third year of college. Like, um, you know, I, I didn't go down that path because I thought, first and foremost, I'm a baseball player and I wanted it so bad. I wanted to have this career and like, you know, that's that's what kept me from, from it. And I, I think that, um, you know, guys are just, it, it's so important to, those of us who have had positive coming out experiences, like so important to, to talk about it and to continue the positivity because, because when you hear that, that negative story, you know, that what happened to Michael Sam really scared me. And I know a whole lot of other athletes like me that, that scared. And, you know, he didn't, he's a hero. He never got the shot that he deserved. And, you know, for a while, that was the, that was the prime example of what's going to happen to a male athlete um, in team sports. And, you know, now that we've, we've had Carl, um, Luke, and, and, you know, the rest of us, like, it's just the coolest part about the whole thing for me has being, is being able to see that we can just continue to do what we already do. I can continue to be an athlete. I can continue to write country songs in the off season and um, keep our jobs. So, yeah. If you heard a deep sigh, that's because we're recording this on an NFL Sunday and I just watched Tua Tungavailoa throw a hilariously bad interception. I apologize for peeling back the curtain here, but I don't normally record these podcasts on Sundays for this exact reason, but Brian is special, so I will make it, <laughs> gladly make an exception for him. Back to this other point about the language. It is a huge issue in other sports, I guess more so than baseball, but I'm not as tied into the world of baseball as I am to other sports, particularly you've heard me rail about the language in hockey locker rooms all the time. Was it as bad for you now that you've got a chance to look back on it as you hear in some other stories uh, when it comes to bail team sports? Because the language is always an issue, and in certain places it just turns out to be worse than others. But I'm curious your experience. Yeah, um, I've definitely heard it over the years, not going to lie. I mean, and I feel like I've had a a good – I have a good reference point because I play so many different places. You know, I've heard the language in Latin America and South America and in indie ball in the U.S. I've heard it overseas, heard it in college. Um it's just a thing with that kind of sucks. And, and I would like to say it's less than it probably was in the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands, definitely less, but it's still there. And I'll still have a day, you know, where somebody says, uh, and makes an offhand comment. It's usually not, 
directed at somebody, but it's just that derogatory language against LGBTQ people, and and it's it's demoralizing. Is that's really to, you got to put yourself in in the athlete's shoes, and and you know these are these are my friends. Like this is these are my this is my crew, and you know when you hear that, it's like it's it's upsetting and, and it, it it's it's i just feel for the other athletes especially in the male team sports in the locker rooms that kind of have to fight that fight alone and and um you know the the one thing that i will say about the language is that there seems to be a real difference in what they say and what they actually believe so like they might make a homophobic comment and not think about it and, and not really think that it's, you know, not think about what they're saying. But once they find out that, and that's why it's so important for people to come out, once they find out that that person that they're making that derogatory comment about is the guy that's, you know, next to them in the infield and, taking batting practice and going to the weight room and lifting every day and then going to Chipotle to get food afterwards and hanging out with and going to the bar after the game. Like once they realize that that's you and you're already their friend, like, you know, they they can't help but like you. And the coolest part about coming out for me was, was after my teammates were aware that I was gay, that language evaporated instantly. The coolest part is I think we're at a place in our culture where once they they know about you, you know, people, generations before me and every single person that has fought for acceptance of LGBTQ people has kind of in the world, you know, to this date has has laid the groundwork for this. It's, it's hate is no longer cool. And acceptance is gradually becoming the norm and you know once they are actually able to associate you with with some of the things that they're saying that are derogatory that stuff will will disappear pretty quickly and that's been awesome for me to experience i think it is hard for people to imagine when they're using this language what it's like when it's an when it's just a person could be offended when it's humanized for them is when it really hits home that yeah. this stuff just it, you, you can't do it anymore yeah not just because it's it's hurtful and it's hateful and but also my opinion of it has always been you have synonyms for the words you're trying to use here why don't you just use them we have a pretty wide variety of choices in the english language for whatever it is you're trying to say and I think we're now we're now starting to get to that point because the number of examples are pretty ubiquitous. Not totally ubiquitous, but pretty ubiquitous. And that too is is helpful because humanization is most important because for years you could say don't use this language, but you'd be offending somebody out there in the nebulous universe. You knew someone was there, you just didn't know who they were. And now you can say, "Oh, it's offending Brian." And then they'll go, yeah, no, you gotta, you gotta stop doing that now. And yeah. it's just a part of the culture, and it's, and it's one of the toughest things I think for somebody in the closet to go through, as you talk with p- 
people in all different kinds of sports and all different kinds of avenues of life. When you're going through this, you hear the language and you think it's directed at you. Largely, it's not. These people aren't homophobes. They're just a part of a larger culture that they're not aware of and that they don't know how to question and that they don't know to question. And it takes a lot to unpack that. And I think we're now starting to unpack that in general. It's going to take a while, but just seeing those first layers be peeled back is, is a really interesting process. And for somebody who, you know, like you, who has to go through it and then to watch those layers get peeled back because you've been able to tell your story, it has to be mighty relieving. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, if I can be a guy that, that helps to humanize this issue, then, and, and a relatable guy to people because I'm a journeyman guy. Cause I've, you know, I'm working in both of these industries. Like I'm all for that. And if hopefully like my goal is <laughs> hopefully you have someone a lot more accomplished and famous than me to talk to in a couple years. But, you know, in the meantime, I guess I'm what you got. So <laughs> if I can help, people kind of understand this and help to lay the groundwork for for greater acceptance of LGBTQ people in baseball like that is so much more worthwhile for me than any individual like hit or 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 home run or or, or win on the field that I can ever be a part of and that's it's an incredible thing to hear people say that and even at the levels you're at in baseball, it's incredible to hear people say that. Because if you're a professional athlete at any level, you had to give quite a bit just to get to that point. And to know that, yeah, I'm not going to make the majors. This is where I am. But to know that I've you know, laid a piece of groundwork that's bigger than myself, even in this small way, it's, it's incredible to hear people say that. And it's a really fun thing to hear people say when they're able to recognize that moment. And you are very important. Again, maybe there's a major leaguer that comes out soon. I hope so, and I will hope to have him on this podcast one day. But I'm not going to complain about who I get to talk to. The stories are the most important thing, and every story is important. I try to make that abundantly clear when I do this show. And I hope that the the reception to your story around the world of baseball and around the wider world of sports is, is kind of taught people that your story matters. Everyone matters. And it's going to matter in a way that you wouldn't have expected when you're in the closet and you can't really think about such things. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been cool. Like I've, you know, I've been busy like over the last, since the season ended, like, I mean, like I hustling. I got to like, the coolest thing is like, I got to go into major league baseball and like, they wanted to like hear from me. So it was, I mean, like I said, until that major league comes out and you know, somebody can talk about what it's like to be gay in the Yankees clubhouse or the Dodgers clubhouse or whatever, you know, I'm what they got. And so like, um, you know, it's, I've, I've heard like a lot of, they're interested like in, in what my experiences was like. And, and, you know, I think like major league baseball actually does want to help us. Like, um, so, you know, and that's kind of why, I can get into it later, but why I tried to make proud to be in baseball is like, you know, let's use this 
momentum, like publicity and stuff. It's great. But, but ultimately like I want to try to use this momentum to help other people in baseball like me. And, and honestly, like, you know, it was cool to, to, to have that moment, but I don't really want the story to be about me in the long term. I want to be, I want it to be about, um, you know, how can, can acceptance of, of LGBTQ people in baseball be an actual reality, you know, and how can we change that? And like, when you look at it statistically, because baseball is a game of statistics, like in the 40 man roster or my college team, which had like 35 guys on it, you know, it's just, there's probably two or three queer players on every team and, um, at all levels of the game. And, um, you know, whether that's the star pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies or, you know, the bullpen catcher for the Mariners or some kid, you know, who's playing in Wyoming. I don't care. Like, you know, this should be, we're at a place in society where acceptance, we, we have gay marriage. We have these things where, where queer people are, are beginning to become a part of the mainstream. And, and, you know, there's no reason why. And I actually think that I've had a chance to talk to a few people in front offices, which is crazy because I'm an indie ball guy and like, I never get to do that. Um, and, you know, if every single team, they already have gay players. They just don't know who they are yet. And if every single team was able to, I'm an optimistic guy by nature. And, and if every team had a guy, you know, that's when you look at it from a, because pro sports is about marketing and ultimately, you know, they want to win, but they also want to make money. And we kind of have to understand that. And, um, you know, it's a no brainer. Think about how many, um, LGBTQ people live in New York. You know, if the Yankees, had a gay player, if the Mets had a gay player, or like, if you think about Carl Nassib, for example, like I had never bought an NFL jersey until Carl Nassib came out. And I know a whole lot of people, queer people who all of a sudden, you know, he became their favorite player. It's just a no brainer. And I think that once you don't have to be in New York or LA or Boston or one of these big cities, you know, each major league team has a significant uh, portion of the population in their area is LGBTQ. We're seeing that. And, and if they had a player or a person to market to that community, that could be the type of thing that, that really, you know, makes it, makes it normal for, for, for us in sports. And I think that, you know, that the other athletes like me, they're just, you don't really necessarily want to be known as the gay baseball player or the gay football player. But I think like the more of us that there can be, the, you know, the, I was pumped when Kieran came out. I, I can't wait till the day when, there's a gay player on every single major league baseball team because there already is. And you just don't know. We just don't know about it yet. And we need to, those of us who are out, 
try to need to try to do what we can to like help us get there. And I don't think that 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 is too far off. You're probably right about that. Again, you're an optimist. I'm not. <laughs> Before we get to the country music stuff, which we have not talked about nearly enough yet, I have to ask you about your experiences playing baseball in an amazing collection of countries. If I have this correctly, I think Germany is one of them. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Germany. Uh, what are the other countries? I think I saw Chile was in there. I think it's six by now. Six. Okay, go over them because I need to hear about these experiences. Independent if, ball is one thing, but playing baseball in some of these countries you play baseball in is something else entirely, and that's something we need to talk about. Yeah, it's it's been I've been so blessed, honestly. Um, you know, after college, I I went international. I I played in uh, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, Peru, Chile. Um, last winter I was in the Guatemala Professional Winter League, and I also coached a youth team in Cuba for a little bit. So. Um, I've had a, a ton of <laughs> had a ton of experiences playing overseas. Um, you know, a lot of those places people don't even know they have baseball. I, but, if you had asked me, is there a professional baseball league in Peru? I would have said probably not. Now I can't imagine hitting some home runs in the Peruvian league because you know altitude and such. <laughs> it was. Coors Field the shame. Yeah, it, it's. It's crazy. Like, you know, there is this whole kind of underworld of, of baseball. Um, if you look at the website Baseball Jobs Overseas, they're like a recruiting service for for overseas ball. So I'm kind of like one of their, their like marquee guys. And those of us who, you know, you can climb the ladder, you can, you can try to make it to the big leagues, but, um, you know, if – there are other places to play and, and with baseball, I've kind of just, you know, I, I have been of the philosophy, like this is my ticket to go see the world. And, and I'm going to try to do as much cool stuff as I possibly can. Um, and whether that's, that's, you know, going to play in Guatemala in the middle of a global pandemic and, and, you know, being the, the only choice you've made there. Yeah. Being the, <laughs> being the only American guy on my team, you know, and and getting looks from people at the airport, like, really, you're you're flying here in the middle of the pandemic. I'm on an American Airlines flight, and there's like six people on this huge 737, like headed down to Guatemala in the middle of COVID, and and but you know, I've just kind of done it, and I, I take risks, and I just kind of put myself out there, and it's been it's been really cool to like play overseas and, and then get a chance to come back to the U S and, and play indie ball in Oregon this summer. And, um, you know, um, I've, I've been very blessed and I've been healthy and, you know, haven't had injuries and that's a huge part of it. Just, you know, staying healthy. And, um, I really hope that I can continue to, to keep playing. Mm, I hope so too, because I want to see what other countries you're going to get to next that when you say, I played baseball in X, going, wait, they have a baseball league, excuse me, there? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of the most random country where that could be possible, but we probably shouldn't do that. Um, I have to ask, of the countries you've played baseball in, which is the one, I don't want to say it was the craziest, because that's probably not the right question, but which is the one that's had the most, 
out there experience for you? The one where you're like, wow, I can't believe I am playing professional baseball in X. The most out there experience was definitely in Chile. Um, it that would make sense. Yeah, it was March, um, March 2020. Coronavirus was this thing that was starting to pop up on the news, but nobody really knew about it quite yet. And it was during spring training, and I was on a team that went down to play some exhibition games there. We ended up, we flew through Mexico City, um, and then flew down, took an overnight to um, South America, and um, took this overnight, another overnight bus down the Pacific coast of Chile, which is a whole lot bigger than I ever knew about, um, in order to get to this stadium in Tocopilla and um, played played a game there. Um, you know, and the next day ended up being the day that we got shut down due to COVID. Uh, and I got on a flight. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get back into the U.S. Um, got up, got flew in, you know, 48 hours later was back in Nashville. And uh, that was the moment that, you know, everything got shut down. Everybody's staying at home. I had no housing because I had planned on playing baseball that spring and summer and was sleeping on a futon um, in an oversized closet, literally and metaphorically, um, in Nashville. And just kind of that was the moment that I realized kind of like wallowing a little bit like, wow, like I thought I was about to go be on this crazy journey of, of baseball. And, and when you're in it, when you're in the thick of it, um, you know, you never really, because I, I work so much, I, I work all off season in, in music and even a little bit, um, on our off days during the season, I never had a moment where I like had to press pause and sit with myself. And, you know, I realized I was closeted in when I was in um, Chile and you know for that that team and um, I I realized like wow you know I'm living this life that on Instagram it looks amazing you know it's this going to different places playing baseball you know um, writing these country songs getting you know going into recording studios with country singers in Nashville and, and at the core of it, I was like deeply unhappy because I had walled off a whole side of my life. And for the first time when everything got shut down, I, that's kind of when I decided like, all right, if I get back to baseball and I get on a team where I can feel supported by my teammates, that's when I'm going to do this. And you know, that happened this past summer. And, um, that's kind of that's my story it's again i think the global pandemic caused everyone around the world to rethink and i always this is something that i find so interesting about the coming out story and for a lot of different people in sports there's something that breaks the routine of going to the gym going to the park training every day you're in that cycle it's kind of robotic and then something breaks it whether it's an injury you know, a global pandemic that shuts down the world, the worst pandemic in a hundred years. And you rethink because that process you've been in, you're now no longer in that process anymore. And that part of you that you had suppressed, that you kept suppressed because you were in this, you know, world 
where you never thought about it, you're now forced to suddenly think about it all the time because you're at home and you can't do anything else or you're injured and you can't do anything else. And oh. I find that to be something that is a, is a through line through a lot of these stories. And the more we hear about them, I'm going to get less and less surprised when people say, oh, it was this injury when, you know, horrible injuries are, that is when I started to understand this or it was COVID or something like that. Totally. And, and you know, it's like when you have, when you got to be at the ballpark for batting practice, you know, in the afternoon before, before you're playing under the lights, it's like, okay, you know, that's what we're gearing up for. You know, I, when we're taking an overnight bus to get to our next place where we're playing, it's like, that's what you're focused on. You're not focused on <laughs> being gay in sports. <laughs> like, But when you have to take a step back and when life gets in the way and you're forced to, evaluate where you're at you know like i said i realized i was deeply unhappy and and i i tried to wanted to make some take some steps in my life to like change that yeah and you took them and you took very big steps and steps that have made us all very happy i want to quickly ask about this the coming out story to some of your family friends and teammates before we shift to country music mm -hmm. uh what were those stories like for you and do you have any specific coming out stories to a friend, a family member, teammate that stands out to you in your mind that will always stand out to you in your mind because everybody's got one or two people that they come out to that, well, this didn't go the way I expected in a good way and I'll always remember this. So which one was that for you? So that was probably this summer. Um, you know, I, I'm really fortunate to have a supportive family, supportive friends, but the, the question for me was always going to be, am I going to be able to keep my job in baseball or get another job in baseball once I'm out? And, you know, so that was why it was really, it was tough for me to come out to my teammates. And, and I didn't feel like this summer, I didn't feel like I needed, it just felt too awkward to like stand up on my, on my chair in the locker room and say, guys, I have an announcement. You know what I mean? It's that's not like my style. And so what I did was I wear Billy Bean's cleats um, or an old, an old pair of cleats that he gave me. Uh, we happen to have the same shoe size and I, I've had those same pair of cleats on in all these different places that I played. And, you know, wherever, wherever I am in the world, I've been able to look down and feel like I have support um, from somebody back home, you know, that that's in my corner. And, um, my idea was in pride month this year, just, you know, put a pair of rainbow shoelaces in my cleats and wear those. And, and my big coming out decision was really just the decision that if somebody asks about my cleats, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to tell a half truth. I'm not going to say I'm an ally. I'm just going to say, yep, I'm gay. And you know, I'm proud of who I am. And and that's why I'm wearing these cleats and or wearing these shoelaces. And my teammates found out about that. Our left-handed pitcher, um, Evan Brizantine, who I had probably my longest tenured teammate. I had we happened to play on the same team in South America and um, played together in Europe as well. Um, Evan saw the cleats and and I was just planning to take out the rainbow shoelaces after Pride Month because you know it's like. June's over, time for July. Like, all right, we're all going to put our American... It's time to put red, white, and blue laces on. Yeah, exactly. Patriotic tribute night. Time to put, you know, get our American flag gear on. 
and um which i did but i kept the shoelaces in because evan was like no dude you gotta keep them in like you know you're really like this this could mean something and i was like oh okay so it was actually my teammates that encouraged me that pushed me that final step and um i was super nervous to come out to our catcher gabby who was um also my roommate um last winter in the guatemala professional winter league um and gabby is like this macho puerto rican dude who's a great guy, but, you know, with a hot girlfriend. And, and I just thought if there's anybody that I'm going to have to fight, it's going to be him. And, <laughs> and I came out to him and he was like, dude, I was raised by two dads in Puerto Rico. Like, you know, I used to get picked on in Catholic school for having two dads. And I, I was like, I was floored, you know, I was, my teammates surprised me the most out of, out of people. Like, it's that guy who was who was raised by two dads or or the pitcher who's Evan, who's an ally and is encouraging. And, you know, I also had some darker stuff happen. Like, you know, one of our relief pitchers told me that he had a, a cousin who had um, tr who was gay and had tried to commit suicide, um, luckily still alive. And, and they they got him help and is now like loved and supported and living out and proud and you know another teammate that um is straight but told me about he was struggling with a, a, a drug problem so it's kind of like this overarching theme of i shared my truth with these guys and all of a sudden they share something about themselves that 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 i wouldn't have known otherwise and and we bond over that and we we become you know tighter as teammates and and we you know we made it to the championship game of our league and and i like to think that you know the fact that I, we were some of us were really pulling for each other there and had each other's backs um i like to think that was a part of it i think so i mean it i hate using the term fragile masculinity but a lot, a lot of sports are kind of built upon that, and once you shatter it, you know, we can see what happens when a bunch of people who think they're tough and masculine who really aren't, when that vision of life gets shattered, you can see what happens, but it's much easier in life when you don't have anything to hide, and it bonds teams together, because how can you be good teammates if you don't really know each other, and, you know, it, it turned out for you guys, you didn't really know each other, and then you did, and you play better because of that. Because you feel like it's an actual brotherhood, right? And, totally. and all those cliches, but it actually means something here. So let's get to the country music stuff. I've waited 51 minutes because, okay, I'm not a country music fan. I think people could probably figure that out. But I'm going to keep an open mind here because, you know, Brian is amazing, and I should do that for everybody who is on this show if their interests do not align with mine. And that's perfectly fine. I subject myself to some terrible, terrible things in sports on a weekly basis. So for you... Did you feel that country music was any different than the world of baseball? Because when I think of country music, I think of um, the worst of bro country, which is very bad. And, I mean, I know all country music isn't like that, but that kind of gave country music as even a country music, not disliker, but as a country music agnostic, a very bad name. And that sweaty jock persona just felt really gross and off-putting. Did you feel that 
breaking your way into into Nashville, which is kind of a pretty closed insular world? It's definitely interesting. You know, there de- there definitely is that stereotype of you know just a bunch of songs by macho guys who sing about drinking beer and hooking up with girls in the back of their pickup truck, and you know that's the stereotype. And you know, like it or hate it, like that's that's what it is. And I, honestly, I didn't know. I I, I knew I loved country music at its core as a, a genre about authentic storytelling. And I kind of felt like, you know, how the heck it, I'm a songwriter. You know, my job is, is I, a lot of people don't know. A lot of singers don't actually write their own songs. They use, songs. I know that I know yeah. that, but that's, but that's just me. I mean, you know, yeah. like, it's it's uh, you know there's it's behind each singer is a group of songwriters who write their songs and and I wanted to be one of those people I, I love country songs and and I, I kind of I didn't know what to expect I there's this guy Shane McAnally and I read this article about him um, back in college called Out and Riding High in Nashville and I saw that and I, he's gay and has a husband and, and two kids and I thought wow okay this guy can do it like I can do it you know and and that's when I, I, I tacked it up right above my desk in college and started to try to write my own country songs and wrote a whole lot of bad songs and now I write <laughs> slightly less bad songs <laughs> see and you admit it too that's good yeah, no, it's it's a journey like you gotta write a couple hundred songs have you written okay I'm gonna make I, I have uh, an affinity for some YouTube reviewers who review music, and I have no musical knowledge beyond what they say, pretty much, or the knowledge of the Pearl Jam back catalog, because I'm a sports writer and that's what we do. But have you written songs that aren't the four chords of pop? I just have to ask that first and foremost. Yeah, no, I, I have. I mean, I'll consent it some to you. I've been, I've been really lucky. Like, you know, I've, I try to mix it up. I try to try to be different. You know, that's. That's kind of my niche, I feel like. I uh, I will support whatever it is that you do because I will support good people who are doing good things for out people in sports. Maybe don't send me the country music because I'm probably not the best judge of it, but hey, I, I just made a joke because I thought it was funny. That's all. Well, I'll send you some pop songs. I've written some pop songs too. I, now, uh, you, might want to send me, you might want to send me whatever the 2021 version of Grunge is because that's basically what I listen to all the time. <laughs> You know, again, I'm a sports writer. I'm sorry. It's either that or Bruce Springsteen. I'm, I'm, I might be an old soul, but I'm too young for Bruce Springsteen. The boss. Yeah. But I am from New Jersey, not that part of New Jersey. <laughs> and, and it's also funny because we do have more out men in country music now. And you mentioned one, but there are others. And what was the name of the? Oh, there was a country singer who came out. Past TJ. summer, I think. Well, who is it? Yeah, T.J. Osborne. Yeah, he's very good. Thank you. I'm I'm nowhere near the first person in. I mean, I'm a, like a low level songwriter right now. I'm just I'm a baseball player. You know, one day the goal is to be able to write chart topping country songs for like people like Blake Shelton and Carrie Underwood and you know the big names and stuff. But right now, I write for. For, for smaller artists, I mean, there are people paving the way. Shane McAnally, uh, T.J. Osborne, Shelly Wright, uh, Shelly Fairchild, um, Ty Herndon, uh, Brandy Carlisle, Brandy Clark. Like it, the list goes on. It's I feel like I'm I'm in a, a a great position right now to just like the reason I wanted to come out 
in country music is like it's a genre based on authentic storytelling and if my job is to write good stories for for people like how how the heck am i gonna live my life you know lying about my own so so that's that's why I wanted to do it in country music. And, you know, it's, it's also led to a string of, a string of really good, like my best material as a songwriter, because I've finally been able to be honest with myself. And I've got 12 songs recorded, you know, by different artists within the last year and, and two of which have charted and everything from Texas country to, to more like Nashville pop country. And, you know, I just would attribute that to like finally being authentic and, and getting that monkey off my back and being able to just do what I already do and try to do my best work, you know, like in the things that I already love to do. And so. that's what you want to be able to do in life is to do what you like to do and get paid for it. Not many people get to do that and not many people get to live authentically and do that because of the world we live in, unfortunately. But you have been able to carve your own niche. How do you write songs with themes that would resonate to people like us when you're ostensibly writing for majority straight artists and you're trying to sell this to the wider country music audience? And uh, I'm not going to be one to make stereotypes here because I don't want to paint with broad brush strokes, but I don't think you could necessarily write, you know, Little Nas X style songs in country music. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> I was trying to think of the most delicate way to put it, and I wasn't able to really think of a good one. And then, oh, right, no, he can't write Montero. Okay, that'll work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think, like, for me, I just try to write the best songs that I possibly can. Uh, like, when it, that's the long and short of it. And however it comes out, that's how it comes out. And the thing that I try to remember is that like people don't like music because of what the song meant to me. You know, you're going to like a song because of what, of how it relates to your life and, and what that could mean to you. And everybody likes songs for different reasons, whether they just think it's catchy and they hear it on the radio or, you know, it, it's something within the lyrics strikes a chord within their own life. And, um, Honestly, like I, I think that you can write songs lo like love, love songs don't have to be gendered. You know what I mean? They don't have to be. You can go for the guy meets girl and they hook up in the back of the pickup truck. You can do that. I've written songs like that. Or you can, you know, write a love song about like slow dancing at a bar and it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be super gendered and, and it can mean songs mean different things to different people. And, and like, that's the coolest thing that I've seen with songs that I've written. Like I, you know, we've been able to, I'm a gay guy like who plays baseball and, but yet I've been able to like write songs that get played in West Texas, you know, in like honky tonk dance halls and by straight artists and, and, or for Hayden Joseph, who's a out and proud, you know, queer country artist, and he's singing about a guy. You know, it's my job as a songwriter is is to try to help help people tell their say what they want to say, you know, and and do it in a catchy way, in a fun way, in a way that can relate to other people. So, 
Um, it's, it's a challenging job. Most of the, it's like baseball. Most of the time we, we fail, you know, in baseball, if you get a hit three out of 10 times, you're a hall of famer, the songwriter, the odds are a whole lot slimmer. You know, I write a, almost a song every day and, and, um, you know, if I get one a month, that's awesome. Like this past year, I got 12. That was crazy. Like I'd never done that before. And, um, but that's, that's a lot. Like, you know, usually, usually you're writing a whole lot of stuff that never sees the light of day. And, and that's part of it. It's a, it's a game of failure, just like baseball. But as long as you're continuing to like improve with each song that you write, like I said, started with pretty bad songs. And now I write slightly less bad songs. But um, we appreciate the honesty. We appreciate yeah. the honesty. I have. I will make two points on this. The first of which is yes, the world of country music is what it is. So that gay men will now write songs about hooking up in the back of a pickup truck. You know, I mean, it's the world we live in. And I find Little Nas X songs very entertaining because of what the songs mean to him. Because they are extremely gay and extremely popular, and now a bunch of insecure straight people have to deal with it. And that is funny. Yeah, he's pushing the envelope. And, you know, it's interesting, like... I had to, I have to ask what you think about him. I think it might be by law, anybody who's gay in music or queer in music, you have to ask them, what do you think of Lil Nas X? I, I remember the first time somebody brought up Old Town Road, I was actually calling a baseball game, and people were they were playing it i think people were dancing to it in the crowd and i had heard it i was like okay this this is annoying and then now i look back and i'm like well you you silly child why did you do that yeah and now and now we have an entire back catalog of incredibly gay things happening in very very popular music and it's spectacular yeah i mean it's it's really interesting to watch you know like um i was yeah it's it's just it's it's interesting and I, there, you can do certain things in pop and certain things in country and, and he's pushing the envelope and, you know, um, it's bringing that queer story to the masses, which I think is really important. I, I wonder as it relates to my life, like how I can help do that in country and you have to do it in more subtle ways. You know, you have to know the confines uh, of what well, you can't sing about guys banging in a shower. <laughs> You know, you can't do that in country music. Oh, who would have thought? Good. Maybe Wheeler Walker Jr. would cut it, but um, uh, I don't know. Uh, you, I mean, you can sing these days. I mean, you can sing about whatever you want. I mean, anybody can put a song on Spotify. So, like, you know, but me as a guy who's... That, you know what? I'm not saying that this is intended to you, but that sounds like a threat. <laughs> I, I don't... There are certain people out there who should not be making music, and I don't need to hear them doing it. No, I mean, I, there are there are queer narratives that have been told in country music. It's been a little more niche. Um, uh, Steve Grand, uh, Hayden Joseph, Brandon Stansill, uh, Orville Peck, all definitely guys to look up if if you're interested in in hearing that. Um, me as a guy who's who's trying to write like, you know, I write I write for a full gambit of, of different people like straight guys in West Texas and, and female pop singers. And it's ultimately it's, it's about, it comes down to what the artist wants to say. And, um, you know, my job, because I work, I'm working for them is to help them like say what, you know, spread their message. So like if there was a guy who was, who was queer, um, and you know, wanted to sing 
like Hayden, like um, wants to sing about, you know, guy meets guy and, and they fall in love in country music. I will totally write that story. You know, I, I have a ton of experiences from from my life that I can that I can draw from, you know, to help build that story and build that song. But um, I'm all for it, honestly. I hope that we get more of that. As part of it is because, yes, we need these narratives and we need these stories in music, but also, and I, I kind of realize this has become a meme, but I just like seeing insecure straight people, particularly insecure straight guys, squirm when they have to hear it. <laughs> you know, I, I just do. It, it shouldn't be something that is as entertaining to me as it is, but it is. It's very, very funny. Well, you know what? I want to write songs that are palatable to both gay and straight people. Like, I think that, I don't think you should have to pick. I think that a good love song is a good love song. And people are going to relate to it how they want to relate to it in their life. And if I can be the guy that writes that, you know, I'm gay, but but if I can write a good love song that that a straight couple dances to on their wedding day, you know, that's a beautiful thing. And and if a gay couple get um dances to, to that on their wedding day too that that's also a beautiful thing like it, you don't have to pick you know we're in the 2020s i don't i don't believe that you should have to pick and i i think good music is good music so that's kind of where i that's my philosophy you know i don't know if i don't know if it's worth anything but but take it or leave it you know that's, it's been worth something to someone because if people have recorded your songs it was worth somebody something to somebody so yeah. <laughs> it definitely was worth it. We have to talk as well about uh, Proud to Be in Baseball and shifting back to, to baseball here. Uh, the group you started to help representation in baseball and for a sport that has had what? I think the number's five players, current or former, that are out. You know, you kind of need that group. And I think you, I remember you saying in one of the interviews that there's a number of people who you've talked to. Obviously, this is all behind the scenes, but. Like, there are a bunch of people who have already joined up. So yeah. it's clear that this was needed. And what was the genesis behind the idea other than just going through this process and realizing I can play a huge role for a bunch of people that need it and nobody else has done it before? Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up, honestly. <laughs> I was – because I was going to bring this up if you didn't. Um, well, I was going to bring it up, but then I got sidetracked by little Nas X jokes and, you know. Got your music. Yeah. Um the genesis of the idea was like, you know, was really trying to create the thing that I didn't have growing up. If I had, you feel like the only one when you're on in the locker room and you're closeted. And, you know, now that there are people that you can Google and you, you can see queer people in baseball, like there should be, the genesis was in this day and age, when everybody's got a phone in their pocket and they can, the sum of human knowledge, you know, is accessible on the internet for better or worse. Nobody should have to feel alone. And in a game played by 16 million people in the U S alone, you know, and countless millions more overseas, like there's gotta be a way. I, I just felt like there, there was a need for it in our small little niche community, you know, we're not trying to compete with any of the bigger, anything that already exists. We're not trying to be a media organization. There's a ton of great LGBTQ organizations that we hope to work with and media outlets and stuff. We're literally just trying to be the support group for the baseball players because 
the environment in baseball right now isn't it's definitely better you know major league baseball is doing some awesome stuff with their pride nights and the, just the fact that they have billy bean in the in the commissioner's office working on stuff we just did spirit day you know they have their diversity summit that the month of june is is all pride stuff they're doing they're making really good strides but there seemed to be a need you know that i felt and some of the people that I have talked to also felt like, how do we find each other as players? How do we, how do we connect? You know, we players naturally are, don't trust people in, in suits. You know, we've all had those. It's baseball. How could that ever be possible? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We've all had those experiences, you know, get traded, released, cut, whatever, or one of my friends or does. paid to live in squalor, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing to like, it can be an intimidating thing, especially in baseball is like a huge percentage of baseball players are non-native English speakers. They're from Latin America or, or Asia, you know, and, and um, each of those places have, have their own, own cultural norms like you know and if we can kind of exist as this like little umbrella organization for it's all non-profit you know not trying to make money or anything literally just trying to be there for players um there's two parts of it it's like one part is the public facing stuff and we do kind of have to do enough media stuff to get the word just enough to get the word around so that people can actually find us people who need who qualify who are players who they need to be able to find us but the real work and you know we're probably going to go to different industry events like i want to go to the american baseball coaches association my dad's a, a a high school baseball coach he's a member um, they have a conference with like two or three thousand different baseball coaches um, of various levels, high school, American Legion, travel ball and college. And to me, that is exactly the demographic that needs to hear about this, you know, because if I again, if I had been able to know it all comes back to if I had been able to know other people like me as a young ball player. That would have saved me years of struggle and internal like turmoil. And, um, you know, we're in our infancy, but we've got some, it's already like, it's been super successful already. Like it, uh, it blew all expectations, like went through the roof, you know, and within the first 36 hours, we got national publicity and we got guys contacting us and, you know, I'm, I'm starting to hear these stories and, and, you know, trying to the next piece of the organization is, is going to be trying to help these players. And that's that's going to be the tough part, because I know that there are guys out there struggling. Um, but, you know, like I said, nobody should feel alone. I have some great people helping me. Michael Holland, who was a, a, a player, former college player who came out several years ago on Outsports and Sam Colwell, who was, he's a really brave kid, um, a bisexual former high school player who's in college right now. And, you know, he went through some, some real trouble 
on the field. Um, and you can read about that online just by Googling him after he came out. So, you know, we've banded together. We're starting to put together um, small little networks of players. And I wanted to do this because I felt like players trust other players. You know, it's hard. They don't trust management. They don't trust people in suits, like I said. And, if and we... they certainly don't trust the media. Yeah, media. Yeah, exactly. It's. I mean, you know. We, we want to be able to work with the media if a player's ready to come out. I, you know, we certainly have a ton of contacts in the media to be able to help them do that. But honestly, I, I just want to be there for the other players. And um, I'm not going to push anybody to come out that's not ready. You know, I think you really have to be ready where we're at right now in your in your personal life to like – take that step, especially if you're a pro guy, you know, especially if, if it's going to make the news and you're going to have to deal with that, you know, that's a whole nother thing. But, um, you know, I, I think the, the biggest thing we can do is be there for the younger players, be there for the guys in high school and college. And, um, there are quite a lot of them and, you know, statistically speaking and, and, I just, I find it really rewarding. You know, this is where I want, hopefully this can be my legacy in baseball is to be able to help younger ball players and, and, you know, continue to do this. And I really hope that our organization like keeps the momentum going and, and can do that. Well, you can have somebody here who will help you with media training when the time comes. Yeah. Yeah, we we did it. We we did meet P Flag was actually incredibly helpful. Jean Maria P Flag did our whole media training and and got us all ready to roll. And um, you know, but we will take as much help as as we can get. We there are there are hopefully there will be many many ball players that could use help. And I think that we're starting to hear from them, and it's only going to keep coming. Yeah, you can uh, you can send them my way. I can help if you want anything. Obviously, I would be glad to help. It would be yeah. awesome to help anybody. I I have again my tent hooks have been mostly in hockey just because of the people I know. Yeah, but I would definitely help in baseball. I would help you out, of course. Uh, but that's that's a talk for after this podcast. I I have to ask as we start to wrap this up. You're in the commissioner's office. You're in Billy Bean's shoes. What are you telling Major League Baseball to do? Because I know there are people out there, and I've interviewed them, I'm friends with them, who are not a big fan of Pride Nights, who think they don't really do what the groundwork, the grassroots level work that is necessary to make the sport better. And perhaps it's different in baseball because now pretty much every team runs a Pride Night. But if you're in that position, what do you want to see them do? What is the most important thing from your perspective to do? Yeah, I don't know. I, I go back and forth on Pride Nights because I, I understand what you're saying. I totally get it. You know, I listened to the last episode with Nick um, and I totally get that. At the same time, though, like it does, it's better than nothing. Like it, it's it's a great first step. It gets that rainbow merch out into the community and it brings a subsect of, of, of people to the ballpark that might not otherwise be at the ballpark. And it also shows the players on the field that, um, you know, this the organization is supporting the LGBTQ community. So, like, they better not say anything bad. Otherwise, you know, they're going to 
get some flack. And, some uh, flack? You mean Twitter will? Yes. Yeah, I mean, except, like hate isn't cool anymore. So um, I, I think they're good. You know, it's they're not the end all be all. Um, I think everything that Billy's doing is great. Like um, I've met, like I said, I was able to go in a couple times to the commissioner's office and meet people there, and it's it's been inspiring. I think. You know, just the fact that that conversation is being had at a high level is is a sign of a, a, a step in the right direction that maybe didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, whatever proud to be in baseball can do to help that I am all for. And I, you know, I told them I, I would happily, you know, participate in whatever they want to do. And um I think that we're on the same team and um, you know, as long as, as we can do good stuff that helps players, you know, that's my main thing. My concern is for the players. I'm a player myself. I, that's my mindset. So from a player's perspective, you know, a pride night is great, but you know, so is Greek heritage night and dollar hot dog night and all the other nights that they have star Wars night. So, yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, our job is to lace them up and play. So like, you know, how much is that pride night while that helps the local community, that's great, you know, but how much does it help the players? And that's what I'm concerned with. And, and I want to be the guy that looks out for players and, you know, there's a whole, we can, we don't need to go into it, but there's a whole bunch of issues of, of like, you know, how to support players best at whatever level they're at, you know, whether it's, whether we're talking to a a high school kid and he wants to, and you know, he's gay or bi and, and wants to ask a guy to the prom, like, or, you know, we're talking to a college kid and he's worried about, he's going to get drafted. What if, what if teams find out that he's gay, you know, like, is he going to get drafted? What's going to happen? You know, that's a certain, that's one issue. Like, or certain guys, they don't aspire to play professionally. They just want to exist in peace on their college baseball team. Pro guys want to keep their job. I mean, it, my concern is with the players. And and that's that's always where my my work is going to lie. And, and as much, like, good things that I can do to, to help other players like I told Major League Baseball sign me up you know I'm all for it and um, you know hopefully we can continue to do good stuff I hope that you're going to continue to be able to do good stuff with players because again I think the number of out active or former baseball players at the professional level is five yeah <laughs> I'm right is it five um I think I mean it's Glenn Burke Billy um, David Denson, um, Sean Conroy, myself, and Kieran. Okay, so I missed one, so it's six. Yeah, so, and each of those... Boy, I can count them on two hands. It's a great number. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's a whole lot of people that, that nobody's heard about, and that's what breaks my heart. And The Glenn Burke story really is heart is heartbreaking, and there I before I did all this, before I did the coming out stuff, and and kind of took on this position. Like I tried to do my research on who came before and, 
the Glenn Burke story was really the story that broke my heart the most because he ne- he was a guy that could have really, from what people said, could have been a star player and never really got the shot that he deserved because of the environment that he was in. And um, there's a famous quote from his book that I kept going back to, and the quote was, coming out is baseball suicide, meaning that, like, you know, your career is going to be over. And I think that is that sums up what me and and, you know, everybody else who cares about this type of stuff in baseball is, is fighting against on a day to day basis, just pure survival, like from a career standpoint. Now, given like that quote was from decades ago. So hopefully, you know, if there's anything that I can show with my stories that you can continue that's not true anymore you can continue to to you know do what whatever you do uh me it's playing all these different places you know doing the proud to be in baseball stuff continue to do what you do without you know without losing your job and and when it comes down to it the pro guys want to keep their jobs and you know continue to to play and i just hope that while the history of LGBTQ people in baseball has been a little bit dark and, you know, to put it mildly, um, I, I really hope that we're moving out of that and moving into a better direction. I think with your story, it shows that we're getting in the right direction. We may have come from the center of the earth and we're now a few levels below the surface, but I am, while I'm a cynic, I will say, if it's moving in the right direction, then that's a good start. I won't accept just moving in the right direction, and no one should accept just moving in the right direction. But moving in the right direction is better than we were before. And that is something that I will always be happy with, even if the progress is not as fast as we would like. Sometimes is it linear. You're unpacking a whole lot of stuff in the culture of sports, and in your case, a culture of baseball that is very hard to unpack. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, as we start to wrap this up, we could go on for hours, but I don't want to uh, keep holding you from all the other things you're doing. If you're now talking to a young player, whether it be high school, college, wherever, mm-hmm. and they're going through the same things you did, what are you telling them to do to get through the tough times, to keep them in the sport knowing what they're dealing with? Because the fear of what might happen if they come out is there, but they don't want to quit. You know, this the sport means so much to them, and they want to be able to do both. They don't want to have to pick one or the other. So what are you telling them? What is the best advice that you could give to somebody who wants to change their life for the better in this sport and is struggling to figure out how to do that? Yeah, um, that's a big question. Um, first and foremost, you know, every day <laughs> – it's it's gonna be it, there are days when somebody says something stupid in the locker room or you know there's a little incident or or you just you don't feel welcome and I would I just advise guys to push through that and to stay strong and you know because it does get better and you, like it, it's it's a tough road honestly but. I encourage them to just stick with it and, you know, to know that they're not alone. And, um, 
the the other thing that I usually tell some of these younger players is like, you know, you don't have to come out on the cover of USA Today like tomorrow. You know what I mean? My and the only guys that would actually do that are probably pro guys anyway. So like <laughs> my coming out was actually five years before anybody in the media actually heard about it. You know, it was the most important thing that happened in my life was when I, like I suggest, just start small. You know, if you're ready to come out on Instagram or whatever, I'm all for that. I'll totally support that. But, you know, find one person that you care about and tell them, whether it's a family member or a friend or a teacher or a coach or, or somebody or an athletic trainer. Like, you know, just start small and each time that you tell somebody like the weight starts to gradually get lifted off your shoulders so that, you know, when you're ready, if you're somebody who's in a position to do something a little bit bigger, you can do that with confidence. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to come out on ESPN or, or USA Today or whatever, like tomorrow, you know, just, just do the things in your life that, um, that can make a tiny little positive step of, of progress for you in your day-to-day -day life. And that's, that's the, whether that's in your high school or college or whatever, that's what I encourage younger guys to do. And how, and the last question I'll ask before we wrap this up is how does it feel now to have gone through all this, to look back on it, to look on, you know, not just telling your story, but your entire journey. What have you learned about yourself through all of this that you didn't know before? about myself uh i don't know just that um how i learned how much i needed to do this i think i before i was like should i do this should i not do this i don't know you know do i want to be this guy do i want to be known as the gay baseball player i do i want to take that on i don't know and what i've learned is that it's just it's so worthwhile like for me, I just, I'm very grateful of like the people that have come into my life, um, during the coming out stuff. And, um, you know, I, it's, <laughs> it, it's weird to be on the opposite end of that as the, as the attention and stuff is, is dying down. I'm definitely ready to get back to my, my day-to-day -day routine, my off-season training, the music stuff, get back to my normal life and just continue to live is that's going to be the coolest part for me is just continue to do what I do um, and not have to worry about this anymore. It's great to not have to worry about it anymore, but as I've always said, there is a life before you come out, and then there's a life after, and the life after is very different, and it's a much better life. It's totally. different, but it's a life that we all should, you know, we shouldn't have to wait till coming out publicly in whatever form or fashion we do. But it is better once you do it. And you, you're a good example of, again, it gets better comes sometimes a bit of a cliche, but it's true. It, it does get better. And yeah. Oh, totally. I, 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 I agree. I mean, even if it gets worse for a little bit, you know, depending on what circumstances you're in, I think ultimately it's for the better. You know, wherever you are, you've got to find people that, that love you for, for you. And, um, you know... I hope that my story can be a positive example of that. It sure has. Tell everybody where they can find you in your many, many avenues that you are making the world better. 
Oh boy. Okay. First and foremost, proud to be in baseball. That's proud to be in baseball.org or on Instagram. And uh, my personal stuff is Brian Ruby, Brian with the Y, Ruby with the Y on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you name it. So. Well, you didn't mention the Bird app. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I don't know. You didn't mention Twitter. You amazing human being. You're not on Twitter. Yes, I actually am. I I don't. I don't even think I have the app on my phone. Um, I I do have an account. I rarely tweet. I don't know. I I try to just. I keep it. I keep good vibes. I keep positive vibes. I don't even know what people tweeted about me after I came out. Um, it was pretty positive, but I will say that you know, Twitter. The bird app, as I, you know, have derisively called it. Well, the good news is, just don't go on when the U.S. men's national team soccer game is playing. You, you talk about not having good vibes. All the right. worst vibes on planet Earth. I'll take those for you, and I'll I'll take the bullets on the bird app for you. you you're you, you'll be okay not being there. All right. <laughs> Everywhere else is fine. I, I'll leave you to TikTok. That is well beyond my scope. Sounds good. Sounds well, you being in music, I think you kind of need to be on TikTok. Although I did find, and I will end on this, I did find the first ever funny TikTok. And this is a thing that will only mean something to queer men. What happens when a straight guy convinces people to Google Sean Cody and they don't know what that is? And then they quickly <laughs> find out what it is. It was as funny as I thought it would be. And I very much enjoyed it. That TikTok algorithm sure knows you well. <laughs> Although I didn't find it on TikTok. I found it somewhere else. Oh, wow. That's I found cool. it somewhere else and sent it to a couple people I know. And I'm like, yeah, no, this checks out. That's funny. I'm gonna, I got to look that one up. Send you, that. I, I don't think you're going to have much trouble looking it up. Just don't look it up in public, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless you want everybody else around you to find out what Sean Cody is. And it depends. Maybe, maybe they want to know. Maybe they don't. <laughs> Congratulations to everyone for making it to the 90-minute mark of this show and getting that joke. Thank you again, Brian. This is a great cue that we need to get out of here before this goes even further off the rails. Thank you again. You were amazing, and we can't wait to see what you do in the future. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Talk to you soon. <laughs>